If you remain standing, and if you have your Bibles with you, you can turn to Acts chapter 2. We'll be starting reading at verse 22. We've been looking for the past several weeks at the day of Pentecost. And we've been looking at Peter's sermon that he was preaching. Uh, last week we, we looked at the first point, or the first part of Peter's sermon, uh, quoting from Joel chapter 2, how the Spirit is poured out on all flesh. Today we'll be looking at the second half of Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost. So we'll be starting at verse 22, and we'll read through verse 36. Hear now the word of the Lord. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, He foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we all are witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself said, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord remains forever. You may be seated. Please bow your heads and pray with me. Our most gracious God and our Father in heaven, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing and honoring in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And in Jesus' name alone we pray, amen. Amen. So as you can see from our decorations, uh, we had a great week this past week at BBS. Uh, we had uh, a whole bunch of kids who were here. Uh, it was rowdy. Uh, it was joy-filled. It was hot. Uh, but it didn't rain, and that was a blessing. The forecast had, uh, uh, there was a forecast for some rain, but thankfully we didn't uh, have to worry about that. Uh, the kids learned a lot about the scriptures, that it is God's word. It was written by him, that everything that we talked about was true. They learned the story of the Israelites anticipating the coming of Jesus that he came, he came uh, to give courage, 
Uh, he came to give direction. Uh, he came to show his love and that he came also to give his power. Uh, we're going to see how these kids do if they remember. Uh, Jesus, gave, <laughs> Jesus gave us power. Awesome. You guys remember. Good job. Uh, what I found was incredible, and I love how God works in this way, is on our last day, uh, the theme verse for that day was Acts 1, verse 8. And the, the theme was, Jesus gives us power. Good job, you guys. Yes. Anytime I say that, you guys can chime right in. You can interrupt me. That's fine. So um, uh, we learned about the power that Jesus gives us through the Holy Spirit. And um, uh, I just find it fascinating how God always ties in the theme of what we're preaching with, with other things that are going on in our lives. So uh, as we were going to see this morning, uh, Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, speaks through Peter, uh, preaching the good news of the gospel to others. And uh, as we were looking at last week, we broke Peter's sermon down into two parts. Uh, the first part is where he's defending Pentecost, because there was people who were there who dismissed what was happening because they said, oh, those guys, they're just drunk. But Peter said, no, we are not. It's nine o'clock in the morning. This is what was happening. This is what is happening as a fulfillment of the prophecy of Joel chapter 2, where uh, the Spirit is going to be poured out on all flesh, and we're seeing it happening right now. So this morning we're going to look at point two of his sermon, that the Jesus whom was crucified is both Lord and Christ. So Peter, our theme for this morning is this, Peter preached the gospel through the power of the Holy Spirit in such a way that his audience clearly understood the message, the good news, that Jesus Christ is Lord. And it is our calling as disciples to preach the gospel through the power of the Holy Spirit in such a way that our audience would also clearly understand that Jesus is both Christ and Lord. So that is our calling. So let's look at Paul's, uh, excuse me, let's look at Peter's sermon this morning. So, uh, and as we look at it, we're going to see that it is, uh, there's three certain characteristics. There's probably more as well. But we're going to see that it is Christ-centered, that it is grounded in Scripture, and that it is contextualized to his audience. And those things are very important. So first of all, it is Christ-centered. Uh, when you take a homiletics course in seminary, uh, either at RTS, where I went and where uh, Steve went. Is that where you went as well, Steve? Um, what they do for their homiletics courses is most of them use a book called Christ-Centered Preaching <laughs> because preaching Christ in your sermons is so vitally important. You cannot preach a sermon and not have it centered on Christ. If you do, that's not the gospel, that's not a sermon. Uh, that book was written by Brian Chapel, who is the former president uh, of Covenant Seminary. It's not, sermons aren't seven steps on how to improve your life. Uh, we can easily fall into the trap of these sermons because they give us something to do with our lives. We can walk out of here and say, okay, I can do these seven things, and this is how my life will improve. Well, that's not the gospel. The gospel is what Christ has done for us. So we need to preach in a way that is Christ-centered. And that is exactly what Peter does in his sermon. He says, men of Israel, he, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth. And he goes on and explains the gospel, that he was crucified, 
that he rose again from the dead. He is seated at the right hand of God in power. Peter's sermon is all about Christ. And as we'll look at the next time uh, we look at Acts chapter 2, we're going to look at how the response of that uh, is amongst the people. That when we preach Christ, we don't have to worry about this is what you need to do because there is an implicit response. And we see it in in the lives of the people. They are so struck to the heart by this message of the gospel that they simply respond by, what do we do? So, um, I'm going to give you opportunity, and we'll talk about this a little later. Um, it is your opportunity, and actually your calling, to critique me as your pastor. Because if I'm preaching something other than Christ up here, it is your job to critique me in that. And I pray that you would do that. We'll talk about that a little more uh, later on. So his sermon is Christ-centered, but it's also grounded in Scripture. Peter quotes twice from the Psalms, from Psalm 16 and from Psalm 110 as well. He clearly demonstrates from David's writing that Jesus is the Christ, very clearly. He doesn't come up with his own clever reasoning to defend Christ. Instead, he grounds it in the Psalms. He returns to God's Word just as he did in his very first point as well from Joel chapter 2. During VBS, I mentioned to the students every time when I would meet with them for Bible Quest that the, the story that we were going to be learning was from God's Word. It's not something that I made up, and it was absolutely true. This is exactly what Peter does in his sermon as well. So he has a Christ-centered sermon, it's grounded in Scripture, but it's also contextualized to his audience. Now remember who his audience is here. It's Jews from all over the world who speak a variety of different languages who have come together to celebrate the day of Pentecost. But they're all Jews. They're Jews who know their Scriptures, who have been bathed in the writings uh, since they were very young. And so this is one of the reasons why Peter uses the Scriptures as well. It's like Paul, when he was on Mars Hill speaking to the Athenians, he referred to some of their philosophers who they knew. Peter refers to David. He is the Jewish hero, this one that they hold up as as one of the heroes in their history. And Peter refers to, to David so that they would have a context of something to understand. He tells them about Jesus and he says, This man who you knew, you saw his miracles, you heard of the works that he had done. They know who Jesus is. They knew he was a miracle worker. They knew that he died. And Peter reminds them, in fact, that they are the ones who crucified him. Now, all the people who were there may not have been in the crowd when they crucified him, but Peter's making a point here, isn't he? Because of their sin, they were guilty of crucifying the Lord of life. And that applies to us as well. So, Peter preaches that he was crucified, that he died, and not only that, but he was also raised to life, and he is now sitting at the right hand of God the Father in heaven. So what Peter does is he takes these misconceptions that the the Jews would have about Jesus, about who he was. He preaches the gospel to them so that they would understand very clearly that Jesus is Lord, and that He is Christ. 
So if Peter did this through the power of the Holy Spirit, it is our calling as Christians to do this as well. So our calling is to take the misconceptions that people have today about who Jesus is and to preach to them the truth that Jesus is the Lord and that Jesus is the Christ. So the question is, what type of Jesus do people believe in today? When the gospel is preached, what type of Jesus is being proclaimed? So I mentioned earlier that you guys have a very uh, important job. When the gospel is being preached from this pulpit, you need to be very discerning. It is your job not only to receive God's word as it is being preached, but you also need to be listening with discernment so that you know what is being preached is actually truth or if it's falsehood. The man standing before you right now is an imperfect man. Uh, I know I have that title in front of my name that says reverend, uh, but that doesn't set me apart in any way as someone who is any less sinful. And if you don't believe that, we can have a conversation after the service this morning, and I can put any fears that you might have of that uh, to rest. Uh, But God has given me the task, and you have called me as your pastor Uh, to preach the Word. And I will do that faithfully um, by the power of the Holy Spirit. I will make mistakes. I will say things from this pulpit that may not be true. First of all, the elders need to correct me if they hear something that is not true. Uh, But it's also your job as well. And I pray, I pray that nothing other than the true gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is preached from this pulpit. A gospel that exalts Jesus as both Lord and Savior. And if not, I would honestly pray that you guys would rise up in just righteous indignation and proclaim, no, that is not true. I pray that you would be such in love with Jesus and know the gospel so deeply that if you hear something other than the truth, that you would be horrified that that would be coming from this pulpit. I pray that you would know the gospel so deeply. So if anyone ever preaches any other gospel from this pulpit, may it be as Paul says in Colossians, may they be condemned. Because we want to preach the truth of Jesus, that he is both the Savior and he is our Lord. But what about when we are outside the walls of Trinity? You know, we meet here for an hour, hour and a half on a Sunday morning. What type of Jesus are people hearing and seeing? Uh, Peter preached to the misconceptions of Jesus, uh, the, the misconceptions that the Jews had of Jesus at Pentecost. But what are the misconceptions that people have today of who Jesus is? The type of Jesus that people believe in today is largely determined by the Jesus that they see and hear. Let me say that again so that we get that. Uh, the, peop- the, the type of Jesus that people believe in today is largely determined by the Jesus that they see and hear. And what is the Jesus that they see and hear? Well, in Acts 1 verse 8, our theme verse for Acts, Jesus says that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria to the ends of the earth. So the Jesus that people believe in 
is mostly the Jesus that they see in us, his witnesses. So let's talk a little bit about what happened a little over a week ago in the city of Orlando. Uh, Stephanie and I used to live in Orlando. We met in Orlando, um, not far from where the shootings occurred. Uh, There was a a girl that we mentored who uh, honestly lived just a couple of blocks uh, from, uh, from the Pulse nightclub there. Uh, So our heart grieves for the people of Orlando uh, there. Um, Obviously, we've heard about the tragedy that 50 people died at the hands of a shooter. Um, And uh, even though the shooter was a radical Muslim who pledged allegiance to ISIS during the tragedy, um, I feel that it was Christians who really were raked through the coals this week in the media. I don't know if you noticed that. And uh, I was really saddened by that. Christians weren't blamed for the shooting, but we weren't praised for our response either because of the nature of the club where the shooting took place. And I think there's a reason for that. uh, I saw some very poor responses from Christians on social media. For those of you who are on Twitter or on Facebook, there were some very loving responses, but there were also some responses that were just not very helpful as well. Uh, A lot of good things did happen in Orlando. For those of you who are fans of Chick-fil-A, you know that Chick-fil-A is closed on Sunday. But there was a Chick-fil-A that opened up on a Sunday so that they could provide meals uh, for those who were donating blood for victims of of the massacre. That was great. Uh, I know a lot of churches that held prayer vigils, that helped with grief counseling, even helped with funeral arrangements. What's hard, though, is that the bad often outweighs the good, and the media picks up on that, doesn't they? They do. So how do we respond to such a tragedy like we saw in Orlando? How do we respond as Christians? If we show sympathy, would we be supporting a lifestyle that the Bible doesn't support? And I know that question is running through our minds. Well, here's the question. When Jesus showed compassion to the woman who was caught in adultery in John chapter 8, Did he in any way promote adultery as acceptable? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. But first and foremost, what he responded with was grace and compassion to the woman. This is what we read in John chapter 8. He says, Let him who is without sin cast the first stone, and all of her accusers dropped their stones, and they drifted away. Yet she remained. But Jesus didn't stop there. He says, woman, where are your accusers? Has no one condemned you? And she says, no one, Lord. He showed grace, mercy, and compassion to this woman. He said, neither do I condemn you. But then he said this. He said, but go then, and from now on, sin no more. Jesus has this great balance of grace and mercy and kindness and then calling to a life of repentance. And I pray that we could show that in our lives too as Christians. It's possible for us to show complete and utter compassion without promoting sin. So how do we respond as Christians to a tragedy like what happened in Orlando? I believe our calling is to weep with those who weep and to mourn with those who mourn. Um, In general, in our culture today, I believe that Christians are portrayed in this way. 
we're portrayed by the things that we are against. And there's been a lot of things that we have had to be against recently, like same-sex marriage. We're against abortion. Uh, we don't believe in climate change. We don't believe in tougher gun control laws. Um, these are the things that characterize Christians today. And if this is the reputation that we are garnering as Christians, what does that say about the reputation of Christ? If Jesus calls us to be witnesses of him, what does our witness say about who Jesus is? Does it proclaim a Jesus who is Lord and Christ? If you remember through our study of the book of Luke, uh, we saw a portrayal of who Jesus was. And if anything, Jesus was anti-this. He was anti-religious hypocrisy. He was anti-pride and arrogance. But he was for, he was positive for the things like declaring the year of the Lord's favor. He was for healing the sick and the lame and the blind and for raising the dead. He forgave prostitutes. He preached that the last shall be first and the first shall be last. He preached of a father in heaven who runs to repentant sinners. And ultimately, he sacrificed himself on the cross because of his great love. So what was Jesus against? He was against sin, obviously. He was against uh, religious hypocrisy. And this is who he came down hardest on. But if we are honest, we are often sending the wrong message about who Jesus is. As a dad, honestly, on this Father's Day, as I reminisce about you know, the last eight years of my life being a father, I feel like I'm sending my kids often the wrong message about the gospel, about who Jesus is. Often I feel like I'm showing my kids a Jesus who is easily annoyed and frustrated, who demands... who demands perfection, who has no tolerance for uh, any sort of imperfection, uh, a love uh, that is conditional based on performance. Is this the type of Jesus that we're displaying to the world? How should we be portraying Christ, this Jesus who is both Lord and Christ? If the world around us has a misconception of who Christ is, mainly based on what we have shown them as Christians, what should we be preaching in order to correct this misconception? Well, I'm going uh, to promote something that is very simple and very easy, and I'm going to echo the words that Steve Sanford preached for us a couple of weeks ago. One of the easiest ways that we can profoundly preach Christ is to do something very simple, and that is to uh, provide hospitality. Um, I've noticed uh, a couple of you have come up to me and talked about Steve's sermon a couple of weeks ago and the conviction that you've had to show hospitality to others. Breedlove family, thank you for showing hospitality to, to me and my family yesterday. I got to see the Breedloves every single day this past week at VBS, and then they invited my family over to their house yesterday. It was great. Uh, we need that as Christians, as brothers and sisters. Uh, why do you think we have missional community groups? So that we can provide hospitality, so that we can be meeting with one another. Stephanie and I strongly believe in this, and that's why we open up our home as much as we possibly can and invite you guys in so that we can share relationship with one another. Men's Bible study is meeting at uh, my house, David Lucas's house, this summer. 
to provide that hospitality for one another. But we also need to practice this hospitality outside the church as well to invite people into our home, even people that we don't necessarily agree with. And that's hard to do. We need to break bread with others, not so that we can debate with them, but so that we can know them and that they can know us. We need to engage in relationship. We've become so divided and isolated that we don't really know people anymore. We know stereotypes of what we think people are, but we don't really know them. There's something about being in another person's home, about breaking bread together, that draws a connection with one another. Why do you think Jesus was accused of eating with tax collectors and sinners? Because he was building relationships with them, getting to know them so that they could also know him. This is what I believe it means to love. Um, You know 1 Corinthians 13. For the sake of time, I'm not going to read that. But you know what it says about love there. And when we actually know each other in relationship, we can disagree and still show love and respect to one another. Uh, I came across recently uh, a debate, a very friendly debate, that uh, John MacArthur and R.C. Sproul have had together. And you can imagine that that debate is over baptism. We even here in this, in this church uh, disagree on baptism, and that's okay because we're brothers and sisters in Christ. John MacArthur believes in believers' baptism. R.C. Sproul is a big proponent of infant baptism. And they can agree to disagree because they're brothers in Christ and they know and love each other. I pray that we could do that as a community as well. Our challenge is to build relationships now so that we have the opportunity when tragedy like Orlando strikes that we can put our arm around people that we even disagree with and show them the love of Christ. And in these relationships, God can and will certainly use us as witnesses for the gospel. So as we conclude this morning, I want to remind us of this good news of Jesus Christ, of the gospel. But thanks be to God that he uses us as witnesses. But thankfully, he doesn't rely on us. He doesn't rely on our own strength. Instead, he works through us by the power of the Holy Spirit because it's in our failures that we come to see the gospel displayed more clearly. And the gospel is this. It's cheer up, brothers and sisters at Trinity, Cheer up because we are worse sinners than we could ever possibly imagine. But cheer up because we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we could ever possibly dare to believe. We are the worst of sinners, but more loved in Christ than we could ever possibly imagine. Jesus is love, and one of the most effective ways that we can be witnesses of this love To preach regarding Christ as Peter did on the day of Pentecost is to humbly confess our sins and to ask forgiveness from one another. It's so disarming when we can go to another person and say, please forgive me for what I have done. I'm sorry for how I've treated you. Instead of loving you, I've judged you and spoken harshly to you and about you. I am sorry. I am sorry. Will you please forgive me? That's the gospel. Nothing is more disarming than a person who is willing to admit their own sin and ask for forgiveness through Christ. 
Because Jesus is our Savior, our sins have been washed clean. We can admit our sins to others because we have confidence that God has forgiven us in Christ. And if we confess our sins to others, we are not controlled by them or by their reactions to us. We belong to Christ and we are secure in Him because He is our Lord. I am His and He is mine, bought with the precious blood of Christ. So this is the good news. You are a great sinner. And it is because of your sin, and it's because of my sin, that Christ was crucified on the cross. But because of great, God's great love for us, He accepted the sacrifice of Christ on our behalf. Because of the great love of Jesus, He willingly sacrificed Himself for us. Because of the death of Christ, we have been set free to love one another as Christ has loved us. And what we learned in VBS this past week is that we can't do it on our own. We can't be witnesses of Christ on our own. Instead, Jesus gives us power, power to follow Him. And that power comes from the Holy Spirit working in us. So as we conclude this morning, let us pray together. Ask that God would work in us through the power of His Holy Spirit to preach Christ as as Peter did on the day of Pentecost. So let's pray together. Our most gracious God and our Father in heaven, we thank You for the good news of the Gospel that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That You have poured out Your love on us through Your Son, Jesus Christ. And because of Him, we have been washed clean. Lord, we know that in our world today, there are misconceptions of who Jesus is. Some people would even dismiss Jesus as being someone who is utterly irrelevant. But I pray that You would use us as witnesses of Your Gospel. That You would allow us to engage in relationship with not only fellow believers, so that we can strengthen each other in the truths of the Gospel, but I pray that You would allow us to engage in relationship with those who do not know You, so that You would use even us to correct those misconceptions, that You would use us to preach a Jesus who is both Savior and Lord to the glory of God the Father. Fill us with the power of Your Holy Spirit, we pray. And it's in Jesus' name alone that we pray. Amen.